It seems to me like the rejection of older traditions is the popular thing to do in almost every culture. But this is especially true with respect to religious traditions. People like to put them down. They're seen as restrictive, confining, musty, or just simply old, out of date. And this is unfortunate because the old traditions have the potential to accomplish two valuable functions in our lives. Number one, they remind us of what is important. And they reinforce in our lives God-oriented or God-shaped values. The old traditions remind us of what is important, and they help us develop values in our lives that are, that are shaped around God and what He wants. I want you to think briefly on this little quote. Tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of fire. The old traditions are able to help us keep the, faith, the flame of faith alive and vibrant. Now this morning I'd like to walk you through three old church traditions, Christian traditions, for your consideration. First is that of orienting our worship around the, the church Christian year. The second, which is not on this list, I forgot it, is confession of sin. The third is participation in the Lord's Supper. Those are three ancient traditions that we need to put to use today. First, the church year. According to the church calendar, today is the first Sunday in Epiphany. Uh, Steve Bell, a man who's been blessing our lives for, for many, many of us in the past 30 years, talks about the church year as something that helps us focus on the core of what we as Christians believe to be true. The church year is designed to help us focus on these things that are true. Now, the Christian year is divided into two halves. The first half revolves around the great feasts of the year, Advent, Christmas, Easter, with Lent as a time of preparing for Easter, Pentecost. Uh, The second part of the year is referred to as ordinary time. In ordinary time, we just sort of get down to business and we read through large chunks of Scripture together as a congregation. Um, so, so those are the two halves of the year. Now, Steve went on to say in a, in a blog that he wrote a year ago, In my work as a wandering mistral and troubadour, I am sensing amongst the Christian faithful a deepening longing for personal and corporate contemplative experience that is rooted in and nourished by the rich traditions of the church. This longing is a suspicion that, embedded in the time-honored traditions of the church, with her annual cycles of fasts, feasts, and remembrances of her most colorful, inspiring saints, there is on offer a counter-narrative to the broad contemporary assumption of meaninglessness and ultimate alienation. Devotional attention to the rhythm and cycles of the Christian calendar year grounds us individually and corporately in this core narrative as we annually rehearse and re-harrow the story that fashions the Christian mind, body, and soul. I like what Steve says. He's on to something very important here. This current year that we're in began last November, on Sunday the 27th. 
began with the first Sunday of Advent. Now we have completed the journey of Advent, leading us into Christmas. We have celebrated the 12 days of Christmas, and now we're into Epiphany. January 6th, for Christians who are of the Western persuasion, as opposed to the Eastern Orthodox types, we, we celebrate Epiphany on January the 6th. For the Eastern Orthodox and, and, and other similar religious groups, uh, that's the celebration of Christmas. They have a slightly different day, so Ukrainian Christmas was on January 6th, for instance. Now, we find this word epiphany that, that describes this season in, in fairly common in English usage. We occasionally hear someone saying they've had an epiphany, as if a light has suddenly come on in their head and they're, they're able to see clearly or understand something. The Cambridge Dictionary says that an epiphany is a moment when you suddenly feel that you understand or suddenly become conscious of something that is very important to you. Now, here's a young man in a particular moment of epiphany. This is kind of a take on an old 1960s movie, uh, Breakfast at Epiphanies. These donuts are making me fat. Well, that's an epiphany that has come to him maybe too late in his life. But the Greek word that, from which we get epiphany refers to something that we see or experience that creates a sudden and striking realization. It's like understanding something for the first time. Now, according to the church calendar, this is the first Sunday in Epiphany. Now, on the very first day of Epiphany, which is January 6th, the focus of the church is on the three wise men because that's the story in, in which we see the glory of Jesus, God's Messiah, revealed to Gentiles. In, in the person of these three magi from the East. So, so that's what the church focuses on if it's a service on Epiphany Day. On the first Sunday of Epiphany, we shift to a different story every year. It's the same every year, and that is the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan. And in this story, we're reminded that Jesus is absolutely unique and he has no equal. Now, by the way, if you were part of the Orthodox Church, particularly in Russia on Epiphany, you would do what? You would chop a hole in the ice and dip yourself, immerse yourself into the freezing water. It was a way of focusing attention on the baptism of Christ, which is the story for the first Sunday in Epiphany. Aren't you glad we don't have that tradition in Winnipeg? I, I, I am anyway. But I I would like us this morning to rehearse this story, this epiphany story together, by, by reading it together. So if you'll turn in your pew Bibles to page 735, or you can read from the screen, we're going to read from Matthew 3, starting with verse 13. And again, I'm going to ask you to read with me in unison. Um, Bible reading in unison is another good tradition of the church. So let's read this together from... Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. 
So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. It's not a very long story. It's, it's really quite brief. And as a matter of fact, we, we might long to have more detail in this story. But it does get fairly dramatic towards the end, because somehow the heavens are opened, as if a curtain has been opened, and now we can see realities that we wouldn't otherwise see. And, and the Holy Spirit appears in visible form like a dove and, and descends on Jesus. And the voice of God speaks audibly from heaven and says, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. That was an epiphany, a visible manifestation of the glory of Jesus the Christ the second person of the Trinity. Now, if you think there's something in that story that sounds strangely familiar, you're correct. Because we heard those same words a few minutes ago from Isaiah in the lectionary reading for today. Uh, Let's go back to what Isaiah said. Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. So what we see in the Epiphany story of the baptism of Jesus is prophesied by, a, by Isaiah the prophet hundreds of years earlier. Because this is an important story. It's the manifestation, the revelation, the appearing, if you will, of who Jesus is for those who have gathered on the bank of the Jordan and for us today who read that story 2,000 years years later. We have a renewed understanding of who Jesus is. He is for all time and all that which is beyond time, God's servant, God's chosen one, the one who brings justice to the nations. Now, if the lectionary reading for the Old Testament today looks forward to this story, the New Testament reading from the book of Acts looks back to this story. Turn to page 839 in your Bible, please, uh, which is Acts chapter 10. And, And we'll just start with verse 37. I'll read it. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And that takes us back to this epiphany story of of Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan. Then Peter goes on. He's talking to Cornelius, the centurion, and those in his house. He goes on and he talks about Jesus' ministry while he was visibly present on earth. And he briefly outlines the facts of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he identifies himself as an eyewitness to that resurrection. He says, we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And now we pick this up in verse 42. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. 
He is the one all the prophets testify about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Now let's briefly bring Isaiah and Peter together. Isaiah prophesies that the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, would bring justice to the nations. Peter proclaims that Jesus is the judge of all. Now think about it for a moment. To whom would one look to find justice? The police? No, they're enforcers of the law. It's a judge who has the power to condemn or to acquit, to find guilty or to find not guilty. It is the judge who can set us free. Jesus says, Peter says, Jesus is the judge of all, of every person, living or dead. Now, on this first Sunday of, of Epiphany, then, we, we remind ourselves, I think we've got another slide there. Yeah, this is, a, I think, a Dutch painting depicting Jesus as the judge of the world. Uh, on this first Sunday of Epiphany, we're reminded that Jesus is not just our friend, and not even just our Savior. He is our judge. That's something to be taken seriously. It is Jesus who recognizes our guilt and who may declare us to be guilty or not guilty. He can condemn us or he can vindicate us. Now, last, son, last month in December... I was sitting there on the, on, on the front pew, right, right here, and, and we were preparing to eat and drink together in the Lord's Supper. And, and I was suddenly, for reasons that I can't explain to you, except that the moving of the Holy Spirit in me, maybe, I was suddenly aware of how much I need a Savior. Because I was suddenly aware of what a sinner I am. Now, a friend is a good thing. So is a good advisor. We all need them. If I'm struggling with thoughts or emotions, I need a good therapist. If I'm ill, I need a good doctor. They're all good. But for that which most grievously wounds me as a person, I need a Savior because I am critically wounded by sin. And sin creates a wound in me, a problem in me that I cannot solve on my own. I need a Savior. I also need to learn to confess my sinfulness as an important part of my worship, both to remind myself that that's what I am and then to move me towards Christ. Sometimes we, we have this tradition of confessing our sins publicly in church. Sometimes doing that, we're aware of our own sin. Sometimes we hear another person's voice and we say, oh, they're just like me. They're struggling with the same things I struggle with. I'm not alone. But when we confess our sins, we don't mince words. We say something like this. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart 
We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And then, having done that, having confessed our sin, we hear the words of forgiveness based on 1 John The promise of God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we are not what we're supposed to be because we're sinners. Jesus, on the other hand, was exactly what we were supposed to be as fully God and fully man. If you look at Jesus, he is what we were supposed to be before we sinned. Now, That's why John, when he came to him to be baptized, said, no, I can't baptize. You need to baptize me, because John recognized that in Jesus. But Jesus said, no. In essence, he said, I've come to be Savior, so I take my place in line with sinners to be baptized, because they're the ones I came to save. So we, we need to remind ourselves that we're sinners. But what is a sinner? We sometimes are like the Pharisee who, who's standing in the temple and says, God, I thank you that I don't commit adultery or rob or steal or cheat or commit murder, and therefore I'm not a sinner. That's not a definition of a sinner. I want you to pick up your hymn book. I'm so glad we still have hymn books in our church. I wouldn't mind if we used them more often myself. But, we, but they're there. I want you to turn to hymn number two, the second most important hymn in the hymn book. Because it's, it's, it's the second hymn, so it must be the second most important. I made that up. I'm sorry. I want you to look at the third verse. Of, of that hymn. Just read through it quietly. Third verse. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's the definition of sin. Sin moves us away from God. To repent is to move toward God. It's that simple. Whatever pulls us away from God is sinful. Prone to wander. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm prone to wander. Maybe that's what I was feeling last month sitting in that front pew. What a wandering person I am. How easily I wander away from God. We, we need confession. And we need absolution. The forgiveness of Christ. The third tradition is the Lord's Supper. One night, roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus was in an upper room with his disciples. Listen to what it says in Matthew 26. Just look at the picture and listen. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. What we need to do as we take the Lord's Supper is we need to take Jesus at his word. Now, I'm not going to get into the theology of it because that's not what we're here for this morning. But Jesus simply said, this is my body 
This is my blood. And there's a beautiful logic to this. If it's the sacrifice of Jesus that results in my salvation, my being forgiven for my sin, then I need to somehow appropriate that sacrifice. Now, we all understand eating. And we all understand the simple principle that you are what you eat. But we may not live that way. Uh, I would eat ice cream and pizza every day if I could get away with it, but I can't. We are what we eat. We take something into us through our mouth that becomes part of us. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. When we eat this, we are appropriating to ourselves the sacrifice of Jesus. We're reminding ourselves that he did this for me. And by eating this, by drinking it, I, I, am, I am reminding myself of the saving value of what Jesus has done. I do not have to be a sinner. I am a child of God. What we do is we, we eat and drink in faith, believing that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He died in our place that he might set us free from the guilt and the punishment of our sins. So we've, we've seen three traditions this morning, the tradition of, of following the church year. We've, we've done that by looking at the Epiphany story because it's the first Sunday in Epiphany. And, and there, there, there are churches all around the world that are looking at the same story, the baptism of Jesus, because it's Epiphany, the first Sunday in Epiphany. And we've considered the idea of confessing our sins out loud, publicly. You know what I've learned in my own life? When I confess my sin quietly in the closet, it's most of the time not a real confession. I'm fooling myself. If I say it out loud to somebody else, then it's a serious matter. I have to mean it to say it out loud to somebody else. We, we say out loud, Lord, I'm a sinner. And, and then we've looked at the tradition of, of the Lord's Supper. We do it once a month in, in our church. Some churches do it once every six months. Some do it once a year. I don't think the Salvation Army ever does it because they don't see themselves as a church. Uh, some churches do it every Sunday. You know, if you're really feeling like if you're really conscious of your sin, I don't think doing it every Sunday is that too frequent. <laughs> I'm not wording that right. I, I don't think you've done it too often if you do it every Sunday. It's, it's not bad. But we, we choose to do it once a month. And we're going to do the Lord's Supper in, in just a few minutes. We're going to have people come forward. As a matter of fact, why don't the servers come forward now and, and sit here in the front? We're going to serve you where you're seated in the pew. And then we're going to, upon instruction, eat the bread together as, as a congregation all at once. And, and then we will drink together as a congregation all at once. But before we, we do this, let's remind ourselves of our sin, that we need this salvation because we're sinners. I'm going to invite you to join with me in this prayer of confession that, that we had up on the screen just a minute ago.
Um, Jerry, while we pray this, turn my mic off, please, so that I don't drown everybody else out. I want us to all hear each other's voices. Of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love and mercy and grace and wisdom, you made us for yourself to bring you glory and praise. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior. Your only eternal Son came to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, and to be raised to life as a guarantee of our salvation. We thank you for this. We thank you that as we eat and drink, we remember this sacrifice. We remember that it is for us. And Lord, we appropriate this for ourselves by by faith in your Son. Amen.